Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Incomparable, number 676, July 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and this episode is about a recent film release it is 2023 that's what i mean by recent uh spider-man colon across the spider-verse yes the sequel to spider-man into the spider-verse the excellent movie from a few years back from 2018 um this uh was now i'm just gonna say this up front because uh, we're gonna we're further we're gonna spoil the movie that's gonna happen we're gonna uh talk about things that happen in the movie i don't think it spoils it but people call that spoilers anyway um I want to mention, though, that this movie was originally titled uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. They changed it to not say Part 1. I want to be clear. It is still Part 1 of a two-part story, the second of which doesn't come out until next year. Anyway, uh, they hid that from me, which, you know, given that I just recently was in a a movie theater and uh, the trailer for Mission Impossible played... And it reveals that the Mission Impossible name is, oh, what's it called? Mission Impossible. Across the Missionverse? Uh, Dead <laughs> Reckoning. Rogue Fate. Dark Dead Fate. Dark Fate, yes. Mission Impossible colon Dark Fate. It's Dead Reckoning is the name. And and so I'm watching the title, the, the trailer, and Dead Reckoning Part 1 comes up. And there mm-hmm. is laughter throughout the audience at Part 1 of a movie. So maybe Across the Spider-Verse, maybe they were wise to... Uh, to hide that it's part one of a two-part movie. Anyway, let me tell you who is joining me to talk about uh, Across the Spider-Verse, uh, formerly part one. Uh, Lisa Schmeiser is here. Hello. Sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm thinking about my past. <laughs> Shannon Sutterth is here. Hello. Hello. And I, I also question why the horse needed a mask. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, in a world of horses... You wouldn't know. Anyway, uh, Chip Sutterth also joins us. Hi, Chip. This is all of us. All of our webs weaved together. Wow. In podcast form. In podcast form, sure. And John Syracuse is here. Hi, John. Hello, Danger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, uh, look, the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a great movie, a classic movie. I feel like um, when people ask me, about this movie after I saw it, I struggled to describe my feelings for it because I I I really enjoyed it and I think and we're gonna talk about all the things that are in it. And I think it's a a beautiful uh looking and well executed movie. I I struggled to describe it though in part because I think that how do you follow an act like into the Spider-Verse, which basically stands alone and i i really do think is one of the great um animated film accomplishments 
ever. <laughs> I was actually campaigning for it to be best picture in 2018. <laughs> and it won the Oscar for best animated film. I, so I, I, I like this movie, but I was torn when I tried to describe it to people because I didn't want to damn it with such faint praise that I said it doesn't screw it up for like the, for the first movie, <laughs> but the bar, but the bar is so high that I did struggle with that because like, I don't know, you kind of only can see into the spider verse once and and it was such a a um a mind-blowing experience and this movie is more like well it's more of that but you already had that but there's more of it now and i don't know i struggled with that a little bit did how how did everybody else feel about coming into this from that previous film uh, I agree that, yeah, it, it expands, it, 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 it builds, it takes the foundation created by Into the Spider-Verse and um, just goes further. I mean, if you accept the premise that there are, you know, multiverses, multiple dimensions, and every dimension's got a Spider-Man, and then it's like, well, what does that mean? And what next? And um, I mean, it, to me, it felt very true to like comic book logic. Mm -hmm. of, you know, coming up with more characters, um, a reason for these more characters to be around. Um, and it, it worked for me. Um, I also feel like um, some of the things I've seen some of the animators and people share on Twitter that they I think they always conceive this hopefully as a as a three part story. Um, and I think they sort of, you know, planned for it that way. So I feel like they're building pretty well. I'm sure we all read C.S. Lewis in the, the Chronicles of Narnia series, right? Yeah. I did. Yeah. So the first, the if, if you don't go in chronological order, but rather publication order, and I feel like I have to distinguish As that. As you because, should. Yeah, because <laughs> I feel like you have to distinguish that because there's always going to be somebody who's like, the magician's nephew should come first, which, no. Um, nope. <laughs> but, but you know how you read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and you get introduced to Narnia and some of the internal logic and the characters and the conventions. And then the book after that is Prince Caspian. There's been this tremendous leap forward in time. The characters who were in the last book, the four main characters quickly realized time has passed. Things have gotten complicated. The world that they thought they knew and mastered had expanded. And it's just different enough where you find yourself drawn into the challenges and things getting increasingly complex. But it's not too complicated so as to be off-putting and it's not too overstuffed. And I feel like it's a similar experience going from the first Miles Morales movie to this one, where a lot of the really familiar beats are there, like Miles and his family, um, Miles's adolescent struggles, um, and the and, and him trying to juggle all his expectations. And I love how it just kind of got turned up to turned up to 11, where things are getting more complicated. He is growing up. He is learning what it means to, to miss people all the time. And I just, I was really relieved at how much I liked it. Yeah, same here. I, I think that this movie is what if Into the Spider-Verse, but more. <laughs> and at every, at every level, it's at more. It's longer. The uh, characterizations are deeper. The complications are more complicated. It is in every way um, sort of an expansion of and a deepening of everything that was established in Into the Spider-Verse. You can't go back, though, uh, like you said, Jason, about, you know, 
you can only see see into the Spider-Verse once, uh, that one first time. And it is so concentrated genius uh, that um, by taking time to expand the story and to make it more interesting in a lot of ways, you're still you're still not recreating the um, the straight into your veins experience of watching the most perfect animated movie uh, ever animation in this movie is better than into the spider-verse uh and yet um i i i I think that into the spider-verse is my favorite of the two and this is simultaneously a better movie than into the spider-verse it's very complicated yeah i I wouldn't say that the animation is is better in as much as the directors and the producers and the artists were incredibly clever in using what they learned in Into the Spider-Verse to expand. Like, you know, there is sort of like a, a cohesive visual to Into the Spider-Verse, since we're we're that that one it takes place entirely in Miles's dimension. And right away with the opening with Gwen we see there's a different uh, color palette. There's there's mm-hmm. a different feel to uh, the characters, to the movement, to the backgrounds. And that kind of care is taken to show individuality to, you know, in how the characters are animated and how the um, scenes are set up. So, you know, it's it's just they have taken what they have learned and they're using it very well. I'm glad Jason started off this whole thing uh, immediately hitting on the one and only thing that bothered me about this movie, and I didn't know it was supposed to be title part one, but that makes a lot of sense, <laughs> is that I felt like it didn't, it didn't tell a complete and satisfying story as a middle chapter. Like, I remember when they were getting towards the, you know, what, what it was effectively the end of the movie, I'm like is there another hour of this movie coming? Cause it just feels like they're, they're kind of in the setup part. Uh, and the movie that, well, I mean, when I was trying to talk to people about this, I had the same problem talking to people because I love the movie. Right. Yeah. But, but when I, but when people ask me about it, the top of mind thing is I love the movie, but I didn't want to say, be aware that, you know, if I had known it was a part one, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I had known it was a part one, I said, would have said, be aware it's a part one, but I didn't want to spoil it to people or people. Right. And so when I've been talking to people about this, like, oh, well, what, what didn't you like about it? I thought you said you liked the movie. He's like, yeah, but I, I didn't feel like it told a satisfying story. And they're like, oh, what's well, the middle chapter? So on and so forth. And I had to start pulling out the comparisons. I'm like, okay, you know, uh, Kill Bill, volume one, right? Uh, it's half of the movie part two needs to be there to complete the story but part one feels like it has a satisfying internal arc and kill bill volume one is like just a couple of notches off a list of of a kill list and the kill list continues into the second movie but still it feels like there is you know a setup a challenge a thing to overcome that is eventually overcome it's a climactic battle there's a feeling of resolution even though of course you know the story is not over um empire strikes back my favorite star wars movie it's a middle chapter uh that feels like oh nothing's resolved at the end they're still on the medical ship and it's like what's going but still it feels like empire there is a challenge there is a beginning little battle thing and then there is a a challenge for luke uh and he confronts vader and that feels like a climax and there is a resolution to that battle um and but there's still more to come and so i feel like there's probably other examples as well that just just something about this it didn't feel like they put the right pieces in this story to be a complete story now on the other hand empire strikes back comes back a lot because i agree with what other people have said is i think this movie does everything that spider-verse does but better 
just like Empire did, you know, uh, sh you know, spaceships flying through space, we're going to do that even better in Empire. Lightsaber battles, we're going to do it even better. Like everything about this was better. And that really surprised me because I thought, okay, as long as they don't mess this up and it's a good story, <laughs> it'll be fine. I did not expect them to up their game that much in the animation department, both in the look of the thing, which is like, how can they top Spider-Verse? But also in like the literal animation, like remove all the color from the screen, make everybody stick figures. The literal animation was better. Just the way the shots were staged, the way things were animated, it was just, I was blown away that the, in the same way that I bet people who saw Star Wars in 1977, which I did not, or if I did, I don't remember it because I was like three, um, thought there's no way they can top that for Empire Strikes Back. And then you go see Empire Strikes Back and you're like, what? what? Like they did everything better? <laughs> this movie literally does every, I was just so amazed that they up the, and here's the big thing about, I think the animation not only was better, but, and this is going to sound weird if you've seen the movie, more coherent than Spider-Verse. Even though, obviously, there's so many different universes and so many different looks, I felt like there was a more, a more confident hand mm -hmm. on the on mm -hmm. the steering wheel to say, yeah, we're going to have 8,000 different Spider-Men from many different universes, but you're still going to feel like, I don't know, there was a consistency that everything, mm -hmm. everything looked good and appropriate for what it was. And just uh, that really blew me away. So it's so hard for me to talk about the movies. I'm like, oh, it just wow, it blew my hair back. But... If I had to say, is this, uh, you know, at, quote unquote, as good a movie as the first one? No, because the first one told a complete story and this didn't. Now, maybe when the second one is out and I say, if you watch all three of them together, it's you can take them as a unit. But it's weird. I have weird feelings about it. Is it just because it of the cliffhanger um, or could it have had a cliffhanger in a different way and you would have been more satisfied? Yeah, no, that's 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 what I'm trying to get with like the Empire thing, because Empire kind of ends on a cliffhanger too. A lot, like a lot of movies, it's not the fact that it was a cliffhanger. Fine, be a cliffhanger. It's it's that I felt like what was in this movie felt like the first half to two thirds of a movie yeah. in terms of plot arc, right? It was lots of setup, uh, lots of early act revelations. And it's like, if you say like, what is the arc? What is the story in this movie? I mean, the the major thing that is learned is though you know you you know you're the you weren't supposed to be bitten by the spider, and there are canon events, uh, and uh, you know uh, what's Gwen uh, confronts her father, and we find out about the other Miles, and that's all the type of stuff that happens in like the first half to two thirds of a movie, and then there's got to be some climactic battle. I do feel like there's a little bit of an internal arc though, because the through line is. Uh, Miles juggling the expectations that his parents have for him and uh -huh. the expectations uh -huh. that the school has for him and the expectations he has for himself as Spider-Man and always feeling slightly out of place no matter where he is. And then it kind of ties into the revelation that he's literally out of canon because he's not supposed to have the spider powers he has. And it is it's it, it well it's comic. so what's so how does that resolve, everything is though? like a parallel every, everything is a metaphor for adolescence it's a man versus himself story that that basically like that so, got so you're arguing for the uh like the the train which i love the sequence either the big train going up to the moon or whatever like the big rocket going up to the moon that that is essentially the climax where he says he's going to do his own thing and defy the canon event it, it, it's yes it's miles's yes. growth it's th that's has miles's reached growth its, story it's climax I believe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yes, there's more to come that, you know, there are things that have to be fixed and things that have to be solved. But because Miles has arrived at this point where he, he knows who he is, he's going to write he his own story. That's what he says. I'm going to make right. my own story. And that's him working out the story that he tells with his mom in his head. And that's why you have the scene where, and I love the scene in the reveal where he talks to his mom and he mentions that he's Spider-Man and you know this is important for him and this is the denouement and then that twist happens and you're like, oh 
my God, he got sent to the wrong universe. And like, I'm not even that worried about the cliffhanger, to be honest, because when you see that he's like getting ready to fire up the sparks, this is a guy who has somehow managed to like make that developmental leap. Character wise, I think it's a complete story. Plot wise, I grant you, yes, there's more to come and we need more. But that's where I feel satisfied. I think we're going to see Gwen's development in the next movie because Miles has a pretty complete arc. Gwen's, although she has like that little bit of resolution with her her dad, um, so much of the story gets put into place because she's got all of these big, messy, spiky feelings that she's avoiding or redirecting. And all of those have come home to roost by the end of this movie. So I think we're going to see her facing up against that and dealing with the repercussions and figuring out her character arc in the next one. Um, So so, I actually think that she has a complete character arc in this Ah. one. Um, So, Mm -hmm. so, uh, and, and this is why I'm much more satisfied with this as a movie than as a, as a self-contained movie than John uh, is a a cliffhanger, notwithstanding. Uh, You've already talked about uh, Miles's arc and uh, I, and he, takes to heart the lesson that his mom taught him about uh, not letting anybody else tell him he doesn't belong. Um, For Gwen, she goes from uh, uh, running from from her father, um, trying to find a home, um, to having this uh, transition into deciding that she's got to rebel against the the spider society. And her arc comes to a close at the end of this movie, having put together a new band and inviting you to be in it. Uh, So I'm, 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 I, I really like both her arc and miles arc. Um, I think that there may be some conversations that we could have about whether she pulls too much focus from miles, especially the beginning. But I do think that you have two very important character arcs that, uh, come to a resolution, uh, Miles at the train at the train with some follow up and Gwen right at the end of the movie and then, you know, slap a to be continued after you see Miles getting ready to uh, zap his way out of the chains. There there are issues with the movie, but I still think it's a great movie and it and it did it did resolve itself sufficiently for me. Yeah, I feel like Gwen's arc was more complete than Miles's in this particular movie. And like and, and I'm not and I'm not like I'm not thinking with my analytical mind when I have this feeling. Like literally when I was watching the movie, I was confused about how much time had passed because it just didn't seem like that we had that, that the movie was going to end. And, I, and then I looked at, you know, my I looked at the time like they're gonna have to end. The movie's about to end, and I just felt like it was I didn't feel like it was resolved. Either it's because I just wanted to keep watching more of it, it just it, it was totally hundred percent a gut feeling. And then I had to back solve and say, Well, why did I feel that way? And that's when I'm trying to make comparison to movies that I love that do something similar, like, oh, they're not a complete story. Why do you think this one's okay? Why do you think that one's okay? And that's where I'm making the comparisons, but just gut feeling it didn't feel like it, it felt it felt like uh, almost all the things in the movie uh, were were uh, set up in intermediary things. And the fact that Gwen, you know, the secondary character, got a more complete arc seemed also natural to me because very often you resolve the secondary character's arc sooner or in a secondary way to the primary character's arc. It may have also suffered from Return of the King syndrome in that the sort of, uh, we finished our story, but now we have to set up the next movie part. 
kind of felt like they were about to start a new segment, but then the movie really does end, right? <laughs> and and yeah. that's 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 fine and forgivable, <laughs> I suppose. But like, it was the stuff that came before that that just didn't it didn't feel to me like the movie should be ending at this point. It's the fake out decision, I think, that is also at work here. Plus the fact that yes, this was absolutely developed as one movie that was so big that they split it into two, and then they changed the name of it. So it, it literally is half of the movie but i think the choice of you could argue that if this was a a true sort of standalone movie in a series if that's not too contradictory um he goes home he says i'm gonna do my own thing he escapes he takes the dial home device basically the go home device and he goes home and if he had gone home and saw his mother and said, I am Spider-Man and all that. And then uh, we yeah, had the, like, the movie there. Yeah. And then we had the revelation that like, oh, yes, but the spots out there and Mc- Miguel O'Hara is trying to get, you, you know, you can even reveal and, that he's in the wrong universe as the final movie ending stinger. Well, that so I, this is the thing is, I think by making it that he's in the wrong universe, it's trying to do that thing where like you think a movie's coming to rest and right. instead kind of yoink. It's not. Now, I. I have a hard time judging that because um, when he does the dial home device, it flashes 42 and they had already um, sort of like hung the lantern on the fact that mm-hmm. the spider was from 42. And so you're you're like, OK, he's not going home. And so I wasn't surprised by that twist. And so I, I can't say how that reaction would be. But like, that's what I think they're trying to do there. Um, I think it's it, look, I think the movie is very satisfying, but I don't mind the fact that it ends on a cliffhanger. I knew they were making another movie that was coming out next year, so it didn't bother me too much. But it, I do feel like it almost needs a warning label on it saying, just so you're aware, this thing is going to stop hard and then you're going to have to wait until next year to watch the rest of the the story. I do think it's a satisfying movie, but I think it is surprising in that way that it is uh, like, I, I mean, we've been talking about it a lot. Obviously it, it engenders some strong feelings here. Like it, it does any movie that's part of a giant franchise really come to rest. I think what you want is something that feels like you're to- telling a story within a larger story. And honestly, like Avengers infinity war is like this too, right? It has an ending, but if that's the ending, wow, it's grim. And I know well, some people reacted that flood? way. Right? Do you remember the flood of pop culture commentary in reviews where all of these people were like, I just sat stunned in my seat. I, I was incomprehending. And, um, like they were seriously surprised that Avengers Infinity War would end like it ended, but what? How? But, but why, folks, why? there's another movie next year. Of course, <laughs> it ends. Like, well, mm, like, yeah, but and the thing is, at this point, we all know how the MCU works. There's nothing that stands alone. Um, this, but but, but I think this, if you buy a is, ticket to a movie, yeah. I think maybe a lot of people just have an expectation that they're going to get the whole, even if it's part of a larger whole, that it's yeah. going to be rounded off a little bit at the yeah, end. Yeah. And what we get here is a true, proper, I would say very good cliffhanger which mm-hmm. is miles we're jump, we're gonna jump all around we'll get to other stuff that's in it but it's like <laughs> miles miles is in the wrong universe his dad is dead in this universe his uncle is still alive in this universe yay but he is the prowler in this universe miles is and then se- secondarily gwen has assembled the the anti 
spider squad to go from from the first movie to go take care of miles and save the universe and the multiverse and all of that and that's how it ends it is a proper i I would say good cliffhanger but i think a lot of people are really just conditioned to the idea that if i buy a ticket to see a movie i mean look i read science fiction novels too the same thing happens you get to the end and you're like what because it turns out oh this is a five book series i was gonna argue the opposite which is that since we've all lived through avengers endgame at this point we know that that cliffhangers are, are now part and parcel of a multiversal um, I don't think so. I think Infinity War and any, I think Infinity War had a more rounded off ending. Like it, it had a natural ending point. And the thing is, with this particular movie, the I think I would make the same. The natural ending point is that Thanos snapped, and it, then we it, got to watch people turn into yeah, charcoal. Yeah, everybody flakes. lost. Yeah, the it's the same as Empire. Our heroes are down and out. Our heroes lost this one, but that we know they're going to fight again. But this, there is a decisive, like, the battle is over for this movie. Like, you know, Vader versus Luke is over. I, I think this movie actually sticks the landing. Um, and I'm probably in the minority in, that, in minority in that one. But I think the fact that Miles is able to bounce back from the sheer existential shock of seeing that he's about to get tortured by himself and that his his dad in this universe is dead, which is it's got to do your head in, and that his uncle is alive and led his other him into life of crime. And then he's still like, okay, here's how I get out of this. Boom. Like the Miles Morales at the beginning of the film probably would not have been able to do that. So I think it ends because it shows you Miles's character growth and his ability to face scary things and think his way out of them. And like you said, Gwen gets the Spider-Ham team back together. And we're going to find out how to resolve Miles and Cannon. It's, it's, I really thought that as in terms of endings go, it leaves you wanting more, but, and, and it sets up the stakes for the next movie, but it's also super satisfying to see what happens with Miles and Gwen. You know, the thing is, if I was making this movie, I would probably make the same choice, sort of sacrificing the middle segment. And it's because one of the things I liked best about this movie is how much room there was to breathe in the middle. Yeah. Especially the scenes with Miles and his family. Yes. And Miles talking mm. to Gwen. And if you tried to, like, compress this and round it off more, I think a lot of that would have got squished a little bit. Like, that's part of what makes the ending feel abrupt, because they let that part breathe, which essentially extends the beginning middle of the movie, and then there's not really enough room left for a proper ending, so it ends the or a proper ending, in my opinion, so it ends that, that way without, as Jason said, being rounded off, but... Those those sections that got room to breathe, I love that. I feel like I feel like once the third movie comes out and we don't really have this problem because if you're bothered by it, put right. in the next movie, right? That we will appreciate that this thing being allowed to stretch out and breathe. Yeah, I, um, I would strongly disagree with somebody who said, "Oh, they should have cut." you know some of that slow stuff earlier in the movie no, so that they the could have had more at the end. It's like no, that's not that's the point here. And and yeah, I had that thought as I was leaving the theater. I actually thought. If, if you didn't, because it's also very long, right? I mean, it's 140 minutes, but what, what, why is it long? It's like, well, first off, there are, there are lots of Spider-Men, so there's that. <laughs> but also, uh, like the opening, the, the movie has the confidence. And this is all engendered, by the way, by the fact, including the fact that it looks better and, and that they, they did all of the stuff with it. It's like, well, you, you make the first movie on a limited budget where you're taking a risk and then it's a hit uh, and it becomes a, a cult hit and it wins an Oscar. And then you get more to do mm-hmm. more. Right. Right. But you also get that confidence about like now have, everybody gets team, what we're the doing. The team that built the first movie exactly. now is better. Exactly. So they're like, you know what? We're going to dial it back as if what if we told the first movie, but we told it about Gwen 
Gwen, we're going to take the time. Everybody knows Gwen from the first movie. We are going to take the time to show her story in something that isn't the, you know, let's do this one again, quick cut, one minute version. We're going to do it and we're going to see the complication of her life. And like... Another movie, a less confident movie, a movie that was more concerned about cut, be, running in 90 or 100 minutes wouldn't give us that. And I treasure all of that with Gwen and her dad and the Mary Janes and the Peter dies and that all of those things are. I, I treasure that we got all of that extra stuff with Gwen, not to mention the fact that we haven't really gotten into any detail about here. Gwen's world is depicted in a completely different animation style that is these watercolors that change with the emotions of the scenes. That is just, it is beautiful. It is a work of art. And the character is, interplay is there and that they they're not trying to rush it and i i just i think it's one of the strengths of the movie that at many points especially yes miles with gwen and miles's discussion with his mom the movie takes the time it's not in a hurry here because it knows it's got another movie so it's gonna be fine like we're gonna we're gonna do what we we need to do in this movie and i love and everything they, it and does they still find time in this movie they have these long scenes with talking with family and having characterization and things happen and they still find time for like multiple incredibly good action set pieces, like yeah. in the same movie as we spend 15 minutes hanging upside down looking at the city with with Miles and Gwen. <laughs> it's hard to believe that they, had, you know, again, that's the, what uh, time and budget affords you the ability to do that. So like I said, I think despite the fact that I feel like this thing didn't actually stick the landing, I'm glad that they made this choice rather than trying to make this because there's no contest to be like the one standalone really good movie. I'm perfectly happy with the first one feeling like a more coherent story. If this one is just a connector and then presumably they'll have to have an actual ending uh, right. for the third one. And together they will be, you know, something special. Like, I, I, honestly, I spent most of this movie just being dazzled that they were doing it better than they had done before, which I didn't expect. If they slap a to be continued uh, after the next one, I will riot. Yeah, I, will, I mean, they can do that as long as they finish this story arc. Finish this story arc, then put in a little stinger for like, but wait, there's another big bad to be. I don't care. Go ahead. But like, you, you know, you got to resolve the spot situation. Yeah, the, uh, the spot. The spot. Um, the spot is a real Spider-Man loved- villain that I enjoy because it's so stupid. Such a stupid villain. <laughs> One of the things I enjoy as someone who doesn't know the comics is wondering which things they might have made up for the movie. The answer is usually none of them. Right. All of these things are from the comics. Yeah. If you think it's dumb, don't worry about it. It was dumb in the comic. Too. Yeah, and, and so it's a great example. And he he's revealed to be the guy who gets hit by the bagel from the first movie and he lost his job because Alchemax exploded in the first movie mm-hmm. and he blames Spider-Man and also he got like these interdimensional spots uh, put on him which makes him a hilariously dumb and bad villain that miles fights at but, the beginning but is he dumb he mm. maybe he you know if some if he'd been taken more seriously we could have avoided that's this. yeah maybe so maybe so he certainly reads as a <laughs> as a, a a dumb uh ridiculous certainly a ridiculous power right where the the loaf of mm. bread goes through him it's he's amazing not, he's not good at using his power no. that's for sure <laughs> no and he becomes first. the like, MacGuffin. That's the great thing is is he becomes terrifying by the end of it right too yeah, when he um, falls into the re- realization of what he can do by affecting yeah. all universes, and you're just like, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's. Yeah. But it leads to a, you know, the, that initial fight between oh, God, Spider Man and the spot. It's so hard in a again, while. Oh. John was talking about these set pieces. <laughs> like, the just like I'm committing plus he's he's supposed to be in a meeting at a school with his parents right so you've got this classic mm-hmm. Spider-Man I'm late for mm-hmm. a thing kind of thing and then you've got this kind of kind of weird 
uh, surreal battle where things are going through this guy and coming out somewhere else and all of that is going on and it's it's a great um it's a great action set piece bracketed by miles's uh, meeting with the counselor at his high school because then he has to sort of pick up the battle and continue it um and it's just it's funny because it's it is like this is a series that embraces the comic book nature of these stories it is the has the printer's dots and it has the registration uh issues and all of those things that are in there and the and the editorial notes that happen right on screen and uh and the spot you know fight is also embracing the sort of like comic booky wild kind of nature of this but also taking it seriously and the idea of like well what can we do how i like i didn't feel let down by the fight with the spot i was like you've got this character that's got these spots that you go in one place and you come out another i would have been disappointed if the fight had been more conventional right i want it to be we thought of everything we could do with this power and put it in this fight and they really did angie's list is now angie and we've heard a lot of theories about why i thought it was an eco move fewer words less paper no it was so you could say it faster no it's to be more iconic must be a tech thing but those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. So the, 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 the meeting that Miles does finally show up at... <laughs> Uh, because it's various a very Spider-Man story to have the, you know, you're conflicted, your parents don't know, they think that something's really, really wrong, and it turns out, yeah, but it's because you're Spider-Man, that's the thing that happens. Um, interesting moment in there that I, I thought was, uh, that I really appreciated, which is the, um, the counselor suggests that if Miles wants to get into the best colleges, he needs to tell a hard luck story about being a child of immigrants who grew up poor in, in uh, New York city. And his parents are like, uh, his, da- his dad is like, yeah. we have a very nice apartment in Brooklyn. And his mom is like, Puerto Rico is part of America. Right. <laughs> just reject the entire idea. But it's also like, it is the movie saying something about the, the story here and, and, and mm-hmm. I, I, in, about race in America. And like, it's really, there's a lot of layers happening in there. And I appreciated how smart it was too. Although I'm just like, wait a minute, he's a sophomore and he's already in AP physics and AP studio art. What's going on? He's He's very smart, you know. He is, is, but I mean, there's other AP courses you're supposed to take first. (laughs) You know, I I, I find it hard to believe that his parents wouldn't have been having the college conversation with him starting in middle school, but I get why they did it for storytelling purposes. Oh, yeah. Sure. And the whole whole story uh, is about miles uh making his own way mm-hmm. um and f- and not just finding where he belongs but claiming his space and he does it in that um in that counselor's office saying you know i want to go to princeton i want to go to jersey um i want to study other dimensions you know this is who i want to be uh and that and that takes you all the way to the train Mm-hmm. um and and to i'm a do my own thing um uh, so yeah it's a great it it's it's a great uh it's it's a great scene it's a great important and and 
going back to what you were saying before, Jason, about uh, just the amount of time that is spent on various things in this movie, I came out of the movie wishing that it had been a little shorter, but a lot of people have been saying you should have trimmed some stuff from the Gwen intro. You should have tr trimmed some stuff from the train chase. Maybe they're looking at this uh, counseling scene. I can't look at any of those individual pieces and say, yeah, I wanted less of that. And I really wanted this scene. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciated this scene because it sets up the entire theme of the movie. My, my complaint about the movie, if, if we have one, is after that, we went and we tried to watch one of the Marvel movies that was streaming on Disney Plus and just... I, I had a hard time trying to get into it or enjoy it because just the visual style felt so flat and live action felt so incomplete compared to what we had seen. Um, it's the difference between like having a gourmet meal and then someone hands you a, a bag of Doritos and you're like, okay, I like Doritos. Doritos are perfectly fine. I just ate a really great meal. <laughs> and um, this is, this is something that I actually noticed in 2018 as well is when you've got animation and you've got really great voice actors, you have so much more freedom in blocking action, in visual storytelling, in, you know, I mean, set decoration is all part of the art. The character design is all part of it. You can do so much more and you can do things that are either not physically impossible, physically possible or like, or they're mind bogglingly expensive. And after you after you're fully immersed in that for 140 minutes like how do you go back to watching something else <laughs> yeah yeah like one example it's like you know there's when when people talk about what animation can do so often they're thinking about the the big huge things that would be too expensive to do in real life but there's also you know like <laughs> cartoon physics not just the not just the concept the entire concept of the spot but um something like the scene where miles is finally about to get to um his uh dad's party with the cakes and he's going up the stairs and he's changing his clothes and he's using his webs to pull the cakes up i mean that is literally something that that live action can't do at all it is bugs bunny it is cartoon physics and um, it adds an extra dimension to what you can do. Well, even take a look at Spider-Punk, where they oh, animated yeah. different parts of that character at different frame rates. And so there's all of these really... So, and unless you're really, really visually gifted or you know what you're doing, um, and dude, I'm just a civilian, um, you were probably not like, oh, it's interesting. We animated some of this at a frame rate of, of fours and some at threes. Like, unless you know that, all you're going to do is you're going to look at the character and go, okay, there's there's some sort of kinetic discordant something. Like, the energy in this character is just, well, punk rock, frankly. Mm -hmm. Like, he feels visually anarchic. And that's something that you can do in animation that you can't do if you were doing a live action movie. I mean, you could try it with FX, but it's not the same as if you were an if, if you're if you're starting from scratch in animation, you could be like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna show this dude all the way down to the speed at which we animate his guitar compared to his body, compared to his head, compared to when he's moving and when he's sitting still. Uh, it was just the when, when I read how they did it, and that's why he looks so um, disjointed. Is not the right word, but but he looks asynchronous, if that makes sense. And when I read that that oh, you know, there's a reason he looks that way. Here's how you do it. I was like, oh, I would have never known. Um, 
But now that I do, it makes total sense. And I bet there are fragilions of those types of tricks all the way mm -hmm. through a lot of the different sequences that we saw where they are beautiful and they pop and they're just visually remarkable simply because the people who are doing the job are like, ah, ha, ha, here we go. I can do stuff that we can't do even with CGI. I can do this now. Um, yeah. Such as like, you know, even the way they thought so carefully about how each of the major Spider-Man move, you know, the, the Indian, uh, the, the Indian Spider-Man, you know, they actually based his movement and his combat on, um, an ancient, uh, martial art from India. Gwen moves like a gymnast. Um, we see, you know, Miles's movements have, um, have matured, you know, he, he, but he's, he's doing his own thing still compared to some of the others. Um, and I've even seen um, somebody shared on Twitter a snippet of um, a storyboard plan for how Miles the Prowler moves mm. compared to Miles as Spider-Man. Um, oh, because that was that was fantastic. Um, yeah. There was it, it, it was an animation test with some scenes built out more than others of um, Miles and Uncle Aaron um basically swinging through swinging through alley alleyways criming um and um with their uh, you know equivalent of their batarangs or uh bat ropes <laughs> yeah yeah basic basically they you know swinging swinging through the swinging as though on web lines but not using web lines and it's very different all of that movement you talk about the movie leveling up uh, from the last one, and I think this is one of those examples where they have a constrained list of spider people in the last movie, and here in this movie they're like, "Nope, we have all of them, and we're going to, <laughs> and we're going to, uh, and yeah, some of them are are samey, but they're samey in a joke way, whereas like I'm Spider Man, no, really, um, and then wait a second, is it because your uncle died, right? Like that kind of stuff. But you also get the remarkable things like uh, like Hobie Brown, the Spider Punk. Uh, uh, who is animated in a very certain style? We get the, we get to see the Lego World, right? Which was animated yes. by a teenager in Toronto, mm -hmm. but it's like it's yes. from the producers of the Lego Movie. So why why isn't there not a Lego World? Um, you get um, so many of these different characters and their different styles. Miguel O'Hara, Spider Man twenty ninety nine as well, and so you get this kind of cornucopia. Uh, Jessica Drew, who's sort of like his number two. Uh, there is a. Uh, the, it's that confidence again, and it's also them wanting to take what they learned in the first movie because they were doing different animation frame rates in the first movie too, right? They, they, they were, but not on the same character, and that's the like taking it a step further. But also, yeah, the just having this scope is not something that would have been possible in that movie. But now in this movie, they're applying all everything they learned and saying, well, we did it with five characters or whatever, and now we're going to do it with you know hundreds and certain like a dozen that we're going to put a lot of effort into and get you to know them and and so the, this is the and, and this is the introduction we get to the this the spider crew that uh miles is not invited to because we do find out that he is the ultimate outsider because he there was not supposed to be a second spider-man in his universe he was bitten by the spider that should have been in universe 42 which did not get a spider-man at all and then we get to meet all these all these very interesting spider characters and discover that Miguel O'Hara basically is a super dour guy who is, he's just a grumpy pants and uh, he doesn't like miles, which leads to uh, that, that chase. There's a, the, uh, the train, 
that John mentioned that's like a space elevator, but also a train. And there's just just inventive wild stuff where there's all these spider people trying to chase Miles and Miles is trying to get away where he does his I'm going to do my own thing line, which is the absolutely the the core moment and of the theme of the movie right there is that which is Miles is not interested in because we mentioned it in passing. What we learn in Spider-Man India's universe is that there is spider cannon and includes losing a loved one and a police captain near them dying. And of course, Miles's father is a police captain or has just become. And uh, they're like, well, this is canon. Your dad has to die. And Miles is like, nah, right? Uh -uh. Like, no. (laughs) And, And it's such a beautiful moment of like, we're not, not only is it the meta of like comic book canon, but it's also Miles asserting himself and it leads to that moment. But there are so many other great just visual mo- moments in the whole chase. I really like the, the there's a one-liner that's like, guys, uh, he's he's stuck. He can't get away. And then he gets away. And the guy's like, sorry, everybody. I guess he could get away. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's just, just because they're, they're, they're making the line that you see here in all the movies and then they're underlining it and saying, yeah, they always do get away, don't they? Uh, just, it's so inventive. And I guess this is, is this Miguel O'Hara's world here it's a it's this futuristic yeah it's like nuevo york or something yeah, yeah. something that's, mm-hmm. that's or at that's least at least they're telling country. us that yeah yeah right so that 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 middle segment is just i mean it's a lot but at the same time it's just it's a real feast and that's the that's the part of the movie where they're like okay you wanted a big expansive action scene here you go right it, could it be more expansive than hundreds of spider people fighting on a space train to the moon or what or whatever like <laughs> right yeah it's just I, all there i think it i think it has to be and i can't imagine how much more expansive it's going to be in the next one but i feel like they they've got to top themselves yet again and i i'd say that lord miller um, if, if, if they can make the next one without, uh, making all of their animators just drop dead from exhaustion, which, um, which they apparently did on this one too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say that, I would say that the next one just has to be bigger, even, e- even bigger. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just racking my brain mm. trying to figure out how they're going to do it. Kara and Sony's character will rip back with a vengeance. Uh, the happy, the happiest spider person we saw was the one voiced by Kara and Sony, who's like, I work out, but I don't get too muscly. And, <laughs> and, and just the, the unearned hubris and the joy spilling from that character really suggests that we're going to see a lot of him in the next movie. And like, he'll have his little arc, especially after he learns that he's just become a non-canon event. And I just, ah, man, I can't wait to see what happens. I'm super excited to see, see how they're going to pull this off, especially when you get the gang back from the first movie and um, have a thousand spider people and an extremely pregnant and angry Jessica Drew after you from the second. So, oh man, I just love the voice talent in this too. I mean, we've talked a lot about the visuals, yeah. but the casting that's done for this movie and the acting that everybody brings to it, um, I really feel like it's just been a, for, a, a really fortuitous match of uh, actor and, and character and the way they choose to interpret them. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. 
Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Yeah, this section with the whole, like, uh, the, the canon events and everything and this whole theme of the movie, I thought was handled in a good way because they didn't really beat you over the head with it because it's it's clearly a commentary on comic books and fandom and people wanting things to be the way it's quote-unquote supposed to be and that could very easily go overboard into sort of like bashing the fans that you want to be watching and enjoying your movie so i thought it was handled i'm not gonna say tastefully i thought it was handled uh in a sophisticated manner because it is a plot point in the movie it is also meta commentary uh but at no point is anybody uh, you know, sort of like it doesn't get preachy. Right. Uh, and mm-hmm. the second thing about it is that I, I mean, maybe uh, people who know the comics know better than me, but watching the MCU and basically movies derived from comics are in the same genre. The the tendency has been to go in the other direction, which is obviously why this is against, you know, the cliche. But like, I mean, I, again, I don't know the details of this because I watched this show so long ago and I don't know how it actually resolved. But like Flash going back in time to save his mom. Right. Um, or, or lots of superhero movies where there's some kind of event that happened, or I guess even Spider-Man trying to go back and save Uncle Ben or any type of thing where there's like some traumatic event that defines the character. And it's a uh, common plot line is your hero gets obsessed with fixing that. Right. And in all those cases, the, the media that I can recall seeing would be telling you, you can't fix that. You can't go back and save your mom. Uncle Ben's always going to die. Those are canon events. And the lesson of the movie is, uh, you know, the the lesson for the viewer is like, don't get hung up on the past. The past is the past. Just move forward. Right. And this movie, while also having meta commentary about, you know, not 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 getting stuck on what's quote unquote supposed to happen or who's quote unquote supposed to be Spider-Man. Like, that's obviously a theme of this whole series. Uh, this movie also says. Also, don't accept the idea that because someone tells you that this quote unquote is supposed to happen, if you mm-hmm. have the power to change it, you can change it. And by the way, we as the storytellers are not going to punish you, you know, yeah. Greek myth style for a hubris of defying the gods, right? Like that I'm assuming the resolution of this movie is, you know what, Miles shouldn't have saved his dad, right? They're not going to do that to him, which is totally what all the other right. movies would do is like, in the end, you right. shouldn't have gone back to try to save your parents, well, right? <laughs> it is... it. The meta story here, and who knows where we'll go in that third movie, but the meta story here seems to me to be so fascinating. It's basically Miguel O'Hara and his group seem to be committed to the idea that there's that in all of the multitudes of the multiverse, right? We've established that there are so many different universes, but yet Miguel O'Hara seems to believe there's only one Spider-Man story. 
and it has variations, right. but there's only one story that is ever told. And Miles and his crew now that he's going to have, because uh, Gwen forms that crew and Hobie is part of it because he rebels against society and rages against the machine. I love it. Daniel Kaluuya, great little performance by him in this movie too. Um, <laughs> their, their whole point is, no, there isn't. Right, that you write your own story. There isn't one story. Pe- yeah, and, and, and everybody Miguel can be is sympathetic different. because he has evidence. Like whenever like a canon event isn't allowed to happen, dark matter comes to destroy the whole universe. Right. So Miguel is like Miguel is sympathetic in that he has taken on the responsibility. It's like, look, I know what happens if you don't allow these canon events to happen. Worlds get destroyed, and I feel responsible for that. So it's my job to make the hard call to enforce it because it's not just right. like i think this is quote unquote how it's supposed to happen literally right. these universes get destroyed and maybe he's seen universes be destroyed because of it and so he is now 100 percent committed to like that's that's his that's you know it's an evil person everyone has their reasons and his reasons do make sense it's oh, just absolutely. that he's not able to even see the possibility it, in, that there may be another way in the story they make sense my, my point was just on a meta level, the, what the movie has got is the, these opposite, oppositional factions. One is saying there's only one story and the other side is saying, no, you write your own story. Right, but yes, right, in the movie, like Miguel O'Hara mm-hmm. is like, but I got to save the universe. The, the, if we don't tell the same story over and over again, the universe dies. Yeah, so. Right. And, and so that, that's what makes him more sympathetic. It's, it's intention versus outcome. And O'Hara, O'Hara is like, I'm preventing this outcome. All of my intentions are centered on preventing this outcome. And Miles is pushing back with, I think we all have the same intention. And I think that we can do different things and still avoid the outcome. Right. And I, yeah. if I had to put money down, it would be on the fact that in, the, in this story, Miles, the reason Miguel recoils at Miles' existence is because Miles' existence shows that there are other right. ways for the story to go mm-hmm. and that it isn't as simple a stay on stay in your lane stay on the main road as Miguel has thought it is all along because he's he's repulsed by Miles's existence because of things happening in the metaverse i suspect that is actually going to be the source of the solution is that there's a bigger picture here and Miles is actually yeah. part but, but of it but Miles that. screwed things up like my, Miguel had a system which is we just allow these canon <laughs> events to happen and universes don't get destroyed well, and maybe Miles Miguel is throws, horrified because yeah. if Miles exists and there's a way to have him exist he can be like oh my Heck, well, I but, have but part of it is it's a problem that Miles suffering exists. Things. Like yeah. we could fix this by making Miles not exist. You Except know what I mean? Like that the that's thing the... is, is if if Miles' existence is allowed to continue and it turns out to be not a problem because of some extremely creative thinking, what Miguel has to do then is Miguel has to be like, "Holy cow! I have done all these terrible yeah, things I, I, in the I'll name let all of these preventing." Uncle die. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm still yeah. not I'm I'm not entirely convinced that that uh, Miguel is who Miguel says he is. Mm. And um, mm. and I think that I'm, I'm reluctant to take at face value what Miguel has told us of himself in this movie. I think that there's, I think that there's a really yeah. long movie um, in part three uh, coming up and there's any number of things that could happen with him. Right. Um, the other thing that I want to say, I want to go back to meta world uh, okay. where uh, Jason was a little bit ago. Um, Come on up. The, I'm above the movie. Also... I'm up here outside the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the, the directors were also aware, and they've said so in interviews, um, that they were also aware of how Spider-Man fans of a certain generation and perspective reacted to Miles Morales when he was created in the comics and whether they accepted him. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a certain level here of the 
uh, of Miguel and the Spider Society rejecting Miles because he's not Peter Parker. Right. That uh, that's a bit of a commentary on um, a fandom of the time as well. Um, the directors were the de- directors mm-hmm. are very much aware of that. So, uh, and I love how they populated all of the like the the major characters in um, the Spider Society. There's so many women. There's so many people of color. It's, they're not. It, it's not nine nine thousand Peter Parkers, right? It's not some exactly. cars and horses. Yes, cars, horses, yeah. Lego. Yes, mm-hmm. also tyrannosaurs. Mm-hmm. But 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 like you know, having characters like Spider Bite and Jessica Drew. Yes, and um, uh, and of course I'm, I I can't get, well, I can't get his name right. The uh, Indian one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Pavadir, uh, which is actually, literally they licensed the comic book to an Indian publisher, and and they invented this character who has now been pulled back into other nice. Spider-Man stories, which is very nice. But you're right. I think. I think that's that's also part of the irony here, and also part of the plan of the storyline, which is, uh, y- you know, you can't also you can't really have a movie where there's 15 different alternate Peter Parkers who all look alike, mm-hmm. right? So you've po- but the result is you've populated this uh, spider uh, society with a whole lot of variants who aren't the one that we always thought like that that it's just Peter Parker. So that even in that, the movie is saying. Spider-Man was never just about Peter Parker. That's just the one that you knew. And there are others. And Miles is mm-hmm. just one. Uh, but Gwen, it's funny, too, because like Gwen is is a very popular character now. <laughs> and, you know, I think uh, in, in many ways it's because Miles paved the way <laughs> and took the took the arrows about the idea that there could be more than one. Uh, Spider-Man existence and that Spider-Man is an idea or a collection of exactly. uh, personality traits and a point of view rather than just one specific exactly. person now, I will and, s- and a collection yeah. of canon events in the comic books I mean like I, I, it's not like every single Spider-Man had an Uncle Ben die but a lot of them had so much stuff happen yeah exactly exactly that's like because yeah because Miles's uncle dies too it's not Uncle Ben it's Uncle Aaron and everybody's got mm-hmm. a and, and in Gwen it's Peter Parker who dies but it's all the same kind of things yeah as much as I enjoyed the um, as much uh, I enjoyed the Spider Verse comics that we discussed on the Incomparable previously, um, it was ultimately there were some extra characters in there, but it did feel like a crisis on Infinite Parkers, mm-hmm. and this this movie is much less so. Oh yeah, I, I agree completely. This is this is a very different sort of uh, sort of thing with a with a broadcast. Now, actually, an in- interesting thing about the cast is that some of our favorite characters from the first movie don't appear much or at all until the end. So the no Spider-Ham, no Spider-Man noir. Peter B. Parker is in it with Mayday, uh, which is a great reference to the Spider-Girl comic uh, in, a, in a baby Bjorn. Um, but we, we, and Penny Parker shows up at the end especially. But like, I, I, in, in a way, John, I think that that is a way that they're doing a little bit of the Empire Strikes Back vibe of of trying to give a shape to the three movies is they withhold those characters either in 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 total yeah, or in they, part. They weren't there in the beginning. It's like you know with Empire, you have them together, then you separate, and then they come back together. Yeah, and here, yeah, here so, the, you have, they were together in the first movie. Then you don't really see them in then, this movie until later. And, and then at the end they're back and they're part of the search for miles. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was very effective in sort of saying, I making this movie 
feel like something's missing, right? Where is Spider-Man Noir and where is Spider-Ham and where is Penny Parker? And we only see a little tiny bit of Peter B. Parker and he's mostly off screen. And it's kind of frustrating because like, these are our friends from the last movie. Where are they? And the answer is at the end, they're coming to save the day in the next movie. But And I thought that was really effective, but I was also frustrated by it because when we finally see Peter B. and, May, and little Mayday, uh, I'm like, oh, look, he's got a happy story. And, and then he's like off he's like gone and then he comes back and and it was frustrating but i i know i see what they're doing there uh and it's clearing the decks for you to meet all these other characters and knowing that when we're withholding them we're going to give them to you at the end um when they come to save their friend it's uh, i think very cleverly done it's a little bit in hard mode because like you the easy thing to do is we're doing a sequel hey it's all the characters you love from the first movie and they didn't do that in this one they the major characters are there but then they had they said well now i have to invent all these secondary characters i gotta bring them. i mean again they didn't invent them if they're from the comics or whatever but miguel the spot all the like they did such a good job spider bite every new character in this movie is like wow they they did it again they're really good at making yeah. it. i mean again i don't know how many of these are from the comics but i don't know any of them for the comics so i'm like look they made here is a character not in the first movie who is new and interesting and seems like a real person and i want to see more of they didn't just say oh it's your pals from the first movie and they're going to have more adventures which would have been easier i don't know if it would have been more or less satisfying but i was i was delighted by how many things that were new to me were in this movie and how good all of them were and then yes they, they pulled them back in the end it's like oh yeah i remember those guys too obviously in the third movie i presume they'll all be together which right. will be very avengers endgamey but we'll see yeah and a lot of these characters yeah they they were they, because there have been so many multiversal alternate spider people things in the comics especially in the it's last a, 10 years bench. they they have a lot of these and the people who wrote a lot of those articles were consultants on these movies too and it, like it, it all sort of feeds back and forth there um but yeah it's just it's it's fun to see them them riff on this. The whole Ben Riley Scarlet Spider thing is a that's actually kind of a super oh, super deep cut for the comic <laughs> fans. The emo Spider Man who's like, but I thought I was the wrong. You know, he's he's just. Oh, it, I loved it so much. That's a, I couldn't that's stop a deep laughing. Cult, deep cut, but oh, very funny. So that's the best kind of reference because I had I have no idea about that comic, but I could still get the joke. Yeah. Because you said there must be a comic where this guy's in it and he's super emo all the yeah. time, which you can totally and, see if you're vaguely familiar yeah. with how comics and he's are drawn, and, they're, and they're making fun of it's it. It's such a deep cut, John. He's drawn in a 90s style that yeah. was... That, that I could definitely pick mm, up. It was so yeah. great. Like, it was so it's, great. It's, it's, it's just right there. It's <sighs> it's really quite remarkable. Yeah. Um, the Let's see. What else do I have on my list here? I, I, I don't know. This is a... It, what what else have we not talked about that we should we should talk about for this? Like it's it's a it, it's a very rich stew of things of Spider Men. <laughs> so I love the Donald Glover inclusion. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he's one of the pre- so and one of the reasons I, I extra double love it is um, we're doing a community watch rewatch as a family this summer and there's this there's an episode where donald glover as troy leaps out of his bed wearing spider-man pajamas and brian michael bendis has been like okay that is the moment i was inspired to create miles morales and to see like a little bit of that come full circle later was just sort of like moment for me so and he was so funny and the story is that that donald glover talked about maybe i should be the next spider-man when they were casting a new spider-man and the him wearing the Spider-Man pajamas is a reference to that, which then inspires Brian Michael Bendis to create 
uh, Miles Morales so that essentially there is a Spider-Man who looks like Donald Glover, which there wasn't before. And then and then in Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, he is playing Uncle Aaron. He actually he's the prowler and he actually says, I've got a nephew who lives in Brooklyn, uh, which is um, which is itself a Miles Morales reference. So then to take it also to have him in the movie, but also I love that the idea, what the movie is saying there is, you know, there are lots of animation styles, including this very realistic one that looks like live action. That is just another <laughs> way to tell stories on film, people. Just, it, it's it's like turning the tables a little and being like, oh yeah, live action is also, I guess, an, a valid film style in addition to all the Except animation as styles. I, as, I complained sure. er, as I complained earlier, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's lesser, but still available as a yeah, non-animated yeah, okay. live-action yeah. style. Yeah, I think one of the things this movie did really well is the um, the basic sort of this is setting aside like animation. You just this just been people talking like when Miles is talking to his family. The basic dialogue of these family scenes and the facial animation it's 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 talking heads you're you know miles is talking to his parents his parents are scolding him about something they're talking to each other about him those are usually in movies like this don't have too much attention paid to them it's just like oh hit the plot points parents are concerned about their kid uh you know whatever and i felt like i mean i don't know how else to say it but the acting the acting of miles's mom and dad and miles in those scenes beautifully done like again nothing they're they're literally talking heads they're standing in a room and talking to each other or even just gwen talking to her dad i was really impressed with the acting performances of essentially the animators and the voice actors combined like in the the way that they do and the way that they do in a good animated movie where the animation combines with the voice actors to make one coherent performance and these were just better than they needed to be for a spider-man movie frankly like in terms of how subtle they are and how beautifully animated and how heartfelt and how sophisticated the writing was. Uh, I was, I was impressed by that. Yeah. They actually, uh, one of the animators shared on Twitter, um, they would film themselves, um, saying the lines, um, and going back and forth. And then they would animate, you know, they would use that as the basis for their animation. And the, the guy who did actually all three, Miles and both his parents in the counseling office, Um, you know, he was literally, you know, gasping and, you know, throwing a hand up like mom and, you know, just rubbing his eyes like dad with his head down Um, and, you know, just imitating, you know, imitating actual real expressions that um, that they were creating for themselves. You know, the, the care that they took, the time that they took to do that, you know, produced incredible results. That's kind of the magic of animation. It's kind of like writing, where writing writing sometimes feels like cheating, where you have basically unlimited time to figure out what words you're going to string together in what order, like before anyone sees it, right? So if you're writing a book or something, it's not performed in real time like a play. You can you can figure it out and take multiple attempts and, and delete and revise and edit and so on and so forth. And when you see animators doing that, where they're like filming themselves or looking in a mirror at their face or whatever, uh, these animators are not Oscar award winning actors. Right. So if you look at their performances, you're like, look, if that animator is up on screen, I'd say thumbs down. You're a lousy actor because they're not actors. They're animators. But they have I wouldn't say all the time in the world, given the working conditions, but they have time enough. Like their skill is in animation. Mm-hmm. That is where their superpower is. So, yes, they need to know like they will act out their performances. But the performances you see in the movie 
are better than their little selfies because because they're animators, not actors. And that's the magic of like, yes, they need the reference. And yes, they're doing the best they can. But if they were on stage in a community theater, you'd be like, ah, this actor is not great. But guess what? They're really <laughs> they, they use computers the to move faces, yeah. not <laughs> well, muscles. It's, it's, again, it's like it's like writing <laughs> because they have they have all the time in the world to tweak Very that eyebrow just so. And their skill it. is in knowing how should this move. It kind of reminds me of Alex Ross, the 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 painter slash comics illustrator, because if you look at any of his books, he'll often have the photo inspos he used where it's like friends and family. And it'll be like some somebody in an ACDC T-shirt who's balding. And then he's turned him into Bruce Wayne, millionaire. Yeah, fin finished and products it, like what? And it all comes from he finds like some ineffable quality in the way somebody's standing or the right. cast of their expression. And then he layers on all of the storytelling meaning. And it's an astonishing skill set to have. It really is, John. That's a great point that you brought up. I want to mention a couple of things about the animation and about the live action. So first off, uh, what superpower does Rachel Dratch have where she just is, gets to be herself in animation? Because it's literally <laughs> just the, the guidance counselor. I think there's just a lot of people like Rachel Dratch in the real world. And so you can put her in any movie, but, <laughs> but people will be like, yeah, I just, I've met like, someone like that. She doesn't need to open her mouth. And you're like, oh, they did an animation of Rachel Dratch. And it is Rachel Dratch. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. That's fine. Um, the there is a, This is the character she played in Mr. Mayor, isn't it? <laughs> there's apparently... Uh, the the live action moment that I was confused by, where they where they go to the uh, live action convenience store, is a reference right. to, Venom. to Venom. To Venom, apparently. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, Sony, whatever. But <laughs> we own this too. I mean, it was funny. But I, I had no idea. Uh, yeah. Well, the first time I saw actually, that, I was just like, okay, it, she's it, hilarious. I did think it was funny, and I was a little bit perplexed about what was going on. I guess that's what happens when you don't get the references, right? Is you're like, oh, at least it worked. But the one that I wanted to mention that just it left me so happy as I was leaving the theater. I first thing I said about this movie to Lauren, I turned to her and I said, "You know what? In every universe, J.K. Simmons is J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, <laughs> he's in all. He's in multiple universes in this movie as J. Jonah Jameson, yes. plus the other movies where he's J. Jonah Jameson. I just, I, it's such a funny little Easter egg. I'm like, yeah, he's he's it's there's always a Jonah." always and it's yes. always jk simmons and that's just how it is you gotta you gotta deal with it that he, that was still was in the lego universe it's yeah no, it's always yes. everyone i mean we do also they use some clips which i figured they probably would but they use some clips of uh of the other of the live action spider-man movies which is fun because it's like multiverse mm -hmm. everything counts everything's connected and there's a line of dialogue about the uh about spider-man no way dr Home. strange and that kid yeah right <laughs> like that that it's all you know multiple spider-mans infinite spider-mans includes all the ones you're thinking of so yeah yeah that was good stuff even even but just even before they uh go to the web graphics uh of the spider verse they first show the same sort of uh fractal curved uh graphic of the multiverse that's been used in the marvel movies right. so far so um yeah they're pu they're pulling it all together. Um one thing that I did want to uh, mention uh, that we haven't talked about is the music and I think this is I I'm trying to decide whether I am less satisfied with the music in this movie compared to Into the Spider-Verse because there were some singles and um some score cues from Daniel Pemberton that were just absolutely monumental and in into the spider verse and i didn't come out of this movie humming it and i don't know if it's because the um the content of the movie was just 
animation wise, story wise and all that stuff was just so much, so much more there that there's less of an opportunity to, uh, to track the, uh, soundtrack or what? I was wondering what y'all thought. Well, there wasn't the big theme like that, that hello danger theme song of the climax of the first movie was sort of iconic and associated with the movie. This score was a lot of soundtracky stuff that fit with the characters, but it wasn't the type of movie where there's going to be like, uh, character themes and overriding score that are going to be like an ever-present character on screen along with the ones that you can actually see like yeah it's not a you know a a, uh i'm not gonna say a john williams style but like even like you know so obviously you think of like star wars indiana jones uh but even things like every miyazaki movie the music is so important and pervasive in those movies to give an animated movie example and it is used differently in this movie i think it's used more in a more traditional manner in the first movie but in this movie it was not it was not as front and center. It wasn't an ever-present character. There's no Hello Danger. There's no Sunflower. And right. that music when that music when um, uh, Peter takes the go- when Miles takes the goober from Peter and says, "Watch, don't watch the mouth, watch the hand," and then jumps. Uh, the music that was playing to that in Into the Spider Verse, there there really isn't an equivalent to that this time I, around. I, one thing, I just just a theory, which is again that that first movie was a little bit under the radar, and they were picking songs and 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 integrating them. And I wonder if maybe this movie like had the, the you know the eye of Sauron, except it's the eye of Sony. Like looked at it and said, "What Sony music artists could we place in this movie?" And therefore, it's maybe not quite as like, and even some big names, but it's like not quite the meaningful use of music that that first movie. It just it, it is it, not only the score, but the 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 needle drops are on. Mm-hmm. They're just perfect. And here, I, I yeah, I didn't I didn't get that same feeling of like, oh, this is perfect, right? Didn't feel like yeah, music and movies is like a weird alchemy because it's so often like I mean, so obviously you have cases where there's someone uh, the director has a really concrete idea of that the music should be important to the movie because again, and, you know, all the Star Wars with John Williams, all the Miyazaki's with Joe Hiyashi, and like they just they're there is a clear vision there. They pick the person who's going to do it They and they put it in, right? Then there are movies where like, oh, we don't have any budget and I want to get these songs and I want them so badly, but I can't get them. So let's put in some substitutes or whatever. Uh, and it still works out. So like uh, Donnie Darko couldn't get any of the songs they wanted. They put in these other songs that were like second or third choices, but they work so incredibly well that when he finally got a chance to like, oh, now I'm going to, now I can get the music that I want. Everyone was like, no, go back to the old music because that works, right? Or the movie, whatever the movie they just did on the flop house where they, oh no, it was the Mario movie. Yeah. Where they had a score for the movie. And they threw it out. But then the executive said, take it out, throw in a bunch of pop songs, do needle drops. Did not work. No. Right. <laughs> or, or, or I don't know if the score was any better. And it's just such a weird alchemy that sometimes it's like, oh, if the director gets what they want, the, the score will be strong. Uh, but that's not always the case. It's just like, it, does it work? Is this weird? It's it's not just a coin flip, but it's this, it's this weird mixture of like, I mean, for, for all we know, the whole the first movie with like those songs that are like, oh, popular songs you should put in there, they worked because they fit with the movie and we come to associate it. Like the Donnie Darko songs. Like, they may not be the songs that the director wanted, but you watch Donnie Darko with Echo and the Bunny Man and you're like, yes, that I see it. It's together. It fits. It works. Uh, and then they're like, no, actually, I wanted it to be this song. And you're like, no. Nope don't like it as much anymore so i I don't know what uh i wouldn't want them to go back in this movie and say well i really wanted to have these songs but we couldn't afford the rights because i did the soundtrack to this movie even though it wasn't you know forward and dominant 
I I didn't need it to be forward and dominant. There was, there was plenty going, on, going on, on the yeah. screen, yes. and I was never just I was never I was never looking for something that wasn't there. The 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 soundtrack and the music always felt like it felt with the visuals, and it was hard enough just to keep up with the visuals because this is a very fast, very you know, frantic movie. Going back a bit to um, the the room to breathe and the uh, character interactions that we are allowed um, is just getting to see more of Miles's parents being present and and their side of the story and in into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, they're in his life. Yes, they're worried about him. You know, mom is there saying, you know, my little man, you, you can leave in a minute. You know, we get the heartfelt, you know, dad talking to Miles through the door of his dorm room. And here we get face to face conversations. We get the arguments. We get you know, his mom, you know, going up and trying to talk to him and explain, you know, this is why we care so much, because we want you to feel, you know, that you can be anywhere and you can do anything, you know, which Miles takes to heart and then, you know, spits back out. I'm going to do my own thing at the climactic moment. Um, I really loved having his parents present as characters. Um, and in part, that was, you know, one of the things I'm slightly curious as to, like, Jason, you said you twigged on the wrong universe the minute 42 came right. up. Um, for me, the first time I watched it, it took a few minutes. It took for a second. I, Miles falls into his bedroom and I'm like, I that doesn't quite look right. And then his mom comes in the door and her eyes are green instead of brown. And she's mm. just sort of like standing there and listening to him in sort of a helpless way that's different from what we saw of her before. Um, you know, expanding on expanding on Miles's family uh, was uh, a really good call, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to throw out is that this movie also expands on the first movie in other important ways. Um, why did the spider have a 42 on it? Why did it glitch? Right. Um, and why, when Peter met Miles, um, um, why did Miles's background colors, when they were spider sense vibing of it, why did the background colors change from prowler uh, purple and green mm -hmm. to spider man blue and red? You know, mm -hmm. they they knew where they wanted to take this thing if they got another couple of yeah. movies. Yeah, it is. It's in there. Like you can go back and and watch that first movie, and it's very clear where that spider came from in the first movie. Um, and then it's a plot point here. So good, good job to everybody for setting it up. Uh, it's just thinking back to something I think Shannon said earlier about the walking up the stairs with the pizza boxes and how it's like, you know, Looney Tunes style animation. Now you can't do that in live action. Um, and at first I was thinking about it like, well, you can do that in live action and it looks terrible. Like, cause it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense to you because you see, okay, you're trying to do cartoon physics, but you're not actually going to squash and stretch a person. Right. So it's just a regular person, but doing cartoon physics. And I think, and, I was, and then I was thinking, okay, well, where have I seen that before? Where have I seen them try to do animation things with live action and it hasn't looked good. And I'm like, oh, sometimes that happens in superhero movies mm. because superheroes having their origin in comics often are asked to do things that you can do an animation or you can do in still panels of a comic. But when you try to do them in live action, 
look silly, look wrong, look incongruent in a way that is difficult to work around. And it really got me thinking that. And then I got into this whole big spiral of like, the whole MCU should probably be animation, right? <laughs> right? Are, Didn't I, was the, I talking the, earlier about the difference? It's too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if you think about the like the worst of the MCU movies, like the ones where it's not working, the scenes where it's not working, the whole movies where it's not working, it's very often because there is a clash between what they're trying to put on screen and our expectations for live action for humans that look like humans in a real world with real buildings and real cars and real people and the way that you can make them move that fits, right? And it's not to say you can't have photorealistic animation, but these movies are live action. They're not photorealistic animation. And so they're, you know, despite the fact that they can do superhero things, if you make someone move like a cartoon, or even if you just do cuts or framings or jumps from this to that, that would work in animation, but feel wrong in live action. Uh, and that, you know, I don't think the MCU has sort of properly dealt with that. Obviously, when you do live action and play to its strengths, you can be very artful, see the whole world of cinema. Like, it's not like, <laughs> oh, you're trapped and you can't make good movies. You can do tons of stuff. You can even make really good live action superhero movies. We have plenty of those too. But it's when you try to, like you reach for something that would be better in animation because because it's a thing that happened at a comic because you have this idea but when you when you really but you've got live action people and you've already established them as live action that doesn't fit and that you're sort of freed from that in animation so animation does give you the freedom to do whatever you want but i feel like with superhero characters in particular and the mcu or spider-man or whoever whatever the next big franchise thing the lesson they should take from this is they should be they should give up on the notion that you should essentially uh, have live action as the default for your storytelling. And by the way, you're allowed to have one animated sub thing, right? That should be the lesson of the Spider-Verse is that animation is not just for Pixar movies, Miyazaki, anime, and, you know, and one or two other movies like that. It should be a valid choice and you can, you should pick it with the knowledge of your genre. And uh, by all rights, if you look at the entire MCU, way more of those movies should be animated right oh, and man, i'm just glad that we've got th- <laughs> yeah we've, we've got glad we've got this one and it's like oh well this is just the black swan they just made this amazing movie and it's animated it's like you can do this again give you know, give animators money allow them to do stuff and i'm not going to dump on pixar but they have like their house style or whatever but there's more to animation yes than pixar and there's more to animation than miyazaki and like if you watch like you know, there's lots of really interesting stuff going on in animated shorts and stuff that are just not stuff that you see in the Oscars, but like random animated shorts, those Star Wars animated things that they're doing, the stuff you see on the Netflix thing, I Love, Death and Robots. People have creative ideas and interesting things they can do. Imagine finding a couple of them and giving them lots of money and some franchise IP to guarantee butts and seats and see where they go with it. Imagine what marvel's what if could have looked like if they'd leaned into this kind of multiverse approach to animation mm-hmm. as opposed to we're gonna try to i mean make I, it I, did, as... I like the what if style right but i don't you know it's like you really need the freedom like i think i think the people who made this got a little bit of a freedom to do it because you know hey they made the lego movies and they're good or whatever i it's tough i think it's probably a tough sell if you came out of nowhere and said, I wanted to make the Spider-Verse, you would be like, nope, sorry, that's not going to happen. No one will watch that, right? So you do have to get people with a little bit of prestige and skill and the ability to get money to take a chance on you to do something like this. 
Yeah, I feel what I said when that last movie came out was uh, we're very lucky to have this. But you're right, John. I think that this, what they are showing here. Also, let's say, you know, Sony has made some very weird choices in their various Spider-Man, you know. <laughs> you know, you got your Morbius and your Venom and your Craven the Hunter and all that. Like, it, the priorities of live action animation, live action and animation are different and the pipelines are different. And, you know, I... I also, the truth is the audience reaction that that the the fact that that first movie wasn't as well received in terms of box office as it should have been was down entirely to the fact that it was an animated movie. And it just that that very thing turned people off from seeing it when, in fact, it was uh, a remarkable uh, achievement. So I feel that way about. I mean, the good news is that the word got around about that movie because this movie made more money than that movie in like week one, um, which shows you that over the years since it first came out, the first Spider-Verse movie has been watched by a lot of people and appreciated by them. But um, this shows you, yeah, this is a genre that has had wild success with live action, um, but yet you see the artistic possibility, the creative possibility of using animation to tell these stories and uh, it's dazzling, right? It's uh, my understanding is that they are planning to do more animated uh, movies in this format so that Sony is, is not just making part two of that, but there are other movies that they're planning to do that are animated, which is good because um, they have really shown a path here. And I would love to see Marvel actually say you know what we are also going to make an animated movie does disney employ animators by the way are there any <laughs> any anime does disney own any animation studios oh right they have two <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's so weird for the because the comics are so free in changing their art style to match the the specific spider-man that they're doing you know they'll forget yeah. about different characters but like they're so the comics are so free to change their art style and the movies are so constrained like i was even thinking of something like invincible on amazon right the animation in that was very conventional the invincible story is not conventional and i get the contrast where it's kind of like you know a superman st story playing against type or whatever but i can imagine an invincible a rated r invincible movie with a very different animation style that fits the story. Same sure. thing, you know, su Superman type uh, proxy, subverting Superman type tropes or whatever. Um, it would look nothing like the Spider-Verse, but I think it would it would pair well with this, with that Invincible story, as far as I know, because I never read the comics, just watched the show. Uh, that could be super interesting. And so I, I really hope they just sort of take the reins off and say like, because the worst thing you could possibly do is say, we're going to make an MCU movie and it's going to be in the Pixar house style. Like, pfft, It's called The Incredibles, okay? You're not going to top that. Just stay away. Do something different. Right, but you could do something different and it could be interesting. And that's, you know, when we give credit to the MCU in the, on this podcast over the last, you know, decade, uh, one of the things that we credit them is that they do take chances in telling stories that, that are different and feel different and have have different uh, genres that they play with. And then we, we keep saying, yes, more, more of that, please more. And this is a great example, which is like, it is, I think kind of telling that Sony, because they have the Spider-Man license was able to make these movies and Marvel for all of the money that it's made has. And the fact that it's part of Disney has not. And big hero six doesn't count people. I, it's great. And it was based on a Marvel comic, but it doesn't, it's not the same, but like, why have they not said, why don't we try some different storytelling styles 
uh, than the live action, you know, machine that is extruding two Marvel movies a year. Why don't we try something different? Because look what Sony did with Spider-Man, right? Like there is a fertile, fertile ground to be to be uh, harvested here if um, if if Marvel or you know, quite frankly, if anybody else. And I know DC uh, and Warner Brothers do actually release animated films. Uh, based on their IP, they're not necessarily as ambitious as Spider Verse, but like I want more ambition in uh, in in American uh, animation, and especially I want more ambition with these amazing bits of intellectual property that are the most popular movies that are being made now. And this is the this is the prime example. I think this is like the perfect example. Look what they did, and and the first one won an Oscar, and this one expanded the canvas. Like there should be more movies like these movies. Ambitious is good. Ambitious. This is very good. Yeah, it is very good. All right. Um, we will re- return to talk about part three at some point, maybe next year. They, they have a release date, but everybody agrees it's not going to happen. Uh, this movie got delayed a year. So like, who knows? But hopefully sometime next year for part three of this story involving Miles Morales and many, many other spider people. But until then, let me thank my panelists for talking about this particular spider movie. Lisa Schmeiser, thank you. Thank you for having me. Shannon Sutter, thank you. Always a pleasure. Chip Sutter, thank you. Hope I didn't ice your game, man. (laughs) (laughs) And John Syracuse, thank you, as always. I regret to inform you that this episode is a canon event, so you will not be able to edit it. Oh, no. Well, bad news. (laughs) Bad news for Stephen, our editor. Don't break canon or everything ends in uh, sadness and dark matter. Or Uh, does it? Or does it? Maybe, Maybe he should do his own thing. Anyway, we will be back with another episode of The Incomparable soon. Uh, Until then, goodbye, everybody. 